0: Hey, I'm Jordan. And I'm Ashley. We're the founders of For the Good, a community created to empower and elevate you to the a purpose-driven life.
1: Our mission is to bring light into our world, and to do so, we have learned that it must start with it.
0: We are so glad to have you here with us. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Jillian Teets. She currently works as a biochemist in the Boston area and the host of the Sober Powered podcast, where she shares her knowledge to help others who are sober, want to get sober, or have had their lives touched by someone else's drinking. Thank you, Jillian, so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. So I came across Jillian's profile on Instagram, and I'm really excited to be able to talk with you today and have this conversation because we are going to be talking more about substance abuse and addiction and what that looks like in this space, you know, that we've been navigating in this year, because it has been a really trying time for many people, but also how to be able to support people in this space moving forward as well. So thank you again so much for joining me. And I do want to get started by having you share a little bit more about what led you to starting your own podcast.
1: Sure. Um, So I was very dedicated to Learning how to moderate my drinking um, it wasn't something that I wanted to ever give up. And eventually, after many years of that pursuit, I accepted that I'm just, like, not somebody who can drink. And when I accepted that, I immediately wanted to know, why am I like this? Was I, was I born this way? Did something happen in my childhood that made me this way? Is it just my brain chemistry? So quarantine was actually a good um, a good help for this project, but I started researching daily on addiction and and brain chemistry, neuroscience, all of it. And after several months, I felt like I learned so much that I just wanted to tell everybody about it. And so many people have misconceptions about alcohol. We think it relieves anxiety and depression. I think that's the main one when it actually creates those two. So I felt that Um, With my biochemistry background, I was really in a good spot to share this information. So,
0: what are things that you experienced as you would go out, maybe drinking with friends or with family? What is something that made you feel like your situation was different, maybe, than other people?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I didn't start drinking until I was 22. And as soon as I started drinking, it was different from everybody else's drinking. I had no off switch. I think what I noticed the most is I'm married to a normal healthy drinker. And with him especially, people are able to say, like, this is enough. I have to work tomorrow or I want to get up early and go to the gym. I should switch to water. Like, people are able to to make a, a mature, healthy decision for themselves. And I wasn't, once I started drinking, I would just go until... Bedtime. And yeah, I think that was the thing I noticed the most. So, what are some factors people can look for, you know, to
0: differentiate themselves from something that is more like social drinking and, you know, that you can give it up at the end of the night or versus someone who, you know, has to be more mindful about
1: that? I think no off switch is a big one. I think that's pretty common. I think mental health is another thing that's pretty common in problem drinkers so a normal drinker will go out and they'll drink and party and maybe they'll get super drunk but that's what they wanted to do and the next day they'll wake up and they won't have any shame they won't hate themselves they won't have anxiety or depression or anything and they'll just go about their lives but a problem drinker will drink way too much and then wake up, usually it starts during the night, it's not even the next day, with just intense shame and self-hatred, and I think that's a difference. If it's causing negative things for your mental health, that's another sign. You know, this is, I
0: shared a little bit about this with you, you know, in context of conversation, but this is something that really hits home with me, and it makes me feel emotional as we're having this conversation, because I've never talked with anybody who is open to sharing the background about this because Mm -hmm. I've recently opened up my dad struggled with substance abuse and I've always held this this is making me feel emotional I've always held this in my heart because up until that point you know he passed when I was 25 so I was a young kid I was a teenager I was a young adult and I didn't know how to help him so what are some ways that people who have a loved one in this space can be able to support and help somebody who is struggling?
1: Yeah, that's such a hard question because it's hard to accept help when you don't want to stop drinking. I think what people can be the most mindful for is not being an enabler. I think that's really common. A lot of problem drinkers will live in denial. Um, Very commonly, they'll think like, I'm not as bad as whoever, or they'll compare themselves to the, the typical idea of what an alcoholic looks like. And they'll say like, I'm not that bad, so I can't have a problem. Or I don't drink in the morning, so I can't have a problem. And I think not encouraging that type of behavior is a really good step. Encouraging therapy so a therapist can help them connect that their drinking is related to all of their misery that they're experiencing. Yeah, I was I was a everybody's like favorite drinking buddy for the most part, and no one thought that I had to stop drinking. So I had a lot of people in my life encourage my quest for moderation, and my husband did too sometimes. He wanted me to, you know, keep working on moderation so we could go drink together and have fun and have it not be a thing every single time and I think that's the biggest problem when people encourage you it it gives you hope and letting go of hope it was for me how I finally stopped drinking. I like how you mentioned
0: that you know there is some kind of stigma that's related to in your mind what you believe somebody to look like because Mm -hmm. my dad I mean he was a very hard worker he went to work every single day never missed a day in his entire life And he thought, well, how is this impacting, you know, my day-to-day, my family, because I have a nice home, I have a nice job, everything is, in my mind, so going well, so what's the problem? Mm -hmm. So that that is a really big thing for people to understand it and face, you know, that this is, there are problems that are being created because of this, and that we can't always think that somebody who is struggling with either substance abuse or some other form of addiction is a bum on the street. You know, yep. the, these are everyday people. They are doctors and nurses and teachers and just, I think the statistic and, you know, you can correct me, I, I read for substance abuse, it's like one in eight people mm-hmm. struggle with this in some form.
1: Yeah, and a lot of them are very high achievers. Um, I now have a sixth sense to recognize this in other people. And you can tell some people who are executives in a company, they will go out and, and look like a problem drinker, just the way that they're approaching drinking and and how their personality switches. And and you can tell like who might be hungover at work. And it's a lot of very high performers, lots of doctors drink. I heard a story, I forget who said it, but oh, it was Craig Beck. Um, So he's a, he's a leader in addiction coaching. And he said he went to his doctor to ask about his drinking And he said he was drinking two bottles of wine a night. And his doctor said, well, you can't have a problem because you don't drink more than I do. Mm. So you're fine. Mm. And so doctors are doing it too, even though they seem very health conscious. Everyone's doing it. It's not just people who, who destroy their lives on the outside. And that reminds me too of what you mentioned about social
0: drinking, because we live in a society where you go and hang out with your friends or your husband, your significant other. And well, well, what do you want to do? Let's go out for you know dinner and drinks. So what are some different ways that you have been able to handle this in this social setting?
1: Yeah, that was hard for me. Um, holiday parties at the end of the year, that's just standing around in a room drinking. Mm-hmm. So getting used to the social thing was hard. I had to have like an exact plan on what I was going to drink, what I was going to eat. And for sober people, you get to a point in the evening where you feel like, I need to leave. I am done. I need to get out of here. And you really just have to listen to that feeling and leave and go to Starbucks or something, or just go home and watch Netflix. But if you try to fight that feeling and stay, it just creates anxiety. and, And we can't be around drinkers like we were before, because once the drinkers get drunk, then it's like really boring. So I think just Accepting it's going to be a little bit different, but for me, everything I've done social is a thousand times better than everything I did drinking. How have you
0: been able to handle people either encouraging you or not understanding? You know that this is something that you're doing because they'll say, "Well, one drink doesn't hurt," and for somebody who is struggling with that, that's a big deal.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people said to me, "I I don't understand why you can't just have one," mm-hmm. and. I tried to explain to them, first of all, you have to think, like, do I even need to explain myself to this person? Do I want them in my life in any way? If you do, then I try to explain, like, when I have one, I want 100, and that's usually what I do. I can't, like, having one and stopping is a complete waste of time, so why would I do that? And I explained to some people very close to me um, how drinking 100 drinks makes me feel mentally, and why it's so dangerous for me, and I think people were really scared and uncomfortable around me in the beginning, just like this big sober person who talks about it all the time, but they saw that I was better to hang out with. I was more fun. I didn't get sad at the end of the night, or dramatic, or emotional, and and I think once people see, like, you're a better version of yourself, they start to embrace it. I've had a lot of friends text me about trying non-alcoholic beers and, and like send me pictures of mocktails. So it's been good. And then earlier in the conversation, you mentioned about, you know, in your, the beginning
0: of your journey, learning, like, what does this look like for you as to, you know, is this something that you experienced in your childhood? Is it genetics? You know, through your research,
1: what are some things that you found? So it's about 50-50. So there are, there's not one um, addiction gene I think that's a common misconception. There's a lot of genes. So there's how you process alcohol in the first place. If you're really good at processing it, then you can drink a lot of it. And there's a bunch of different things going on with the brain that make alcohol a lot more pleasurable for someone like me versus a normal drinker. So when it feels way better for you, for other people you're going to want to drink more and the other half of it is environmental like what was your childhood like did you grow up with trauma did you witness someone drinking in a problematic way so it's it's basically 50 50 which is super interesting
0: yeah that is interesting because I've read you know different things in in my research trying to understand this because I saw that you shared a post and I commented on it and you were talking about genetics and you know, my dad struggled with in this space, and then there's my brother and I, and this is something, you know, I can have a drink, put it down, walk away, and it's, I never think about it again. It's just very interesting to me to be able to learn about this, so Mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that.
1: Yeah, my brother is probably the most responsible drinker that anyone's ever met, and we both just went in complete opposite directions, even though we have very similar genetics and We grew up together, so we had similar childhoods as well. You know, another thing that I read about that interests
0: me is about withdrawal. Because Mm -hmm. there are people who have said that they would rather continue their habits, knowing that it's not healthy for them, than take a chance as to what the withdrawal from doing this for years or decades looks like. So can you talk a little bit more about what that means?
1: Yeah, alcohol withdrawal, it can be deadly if you have so much of it for such a long period of time. So that would typically be accompanied by the shake. So it requires physical dependence. But because alcohol is depressing your central nervous system for so long, your brain is trying to compensate for that. And it brings up other neurotransmitters to make your brain more active. So when you remove the alcohol, you have a super active brain. And that's why you can get a seizure. But the withdrawal symptoms that aren't dangerous are very uncomfortable night sweats are super common massive anxiety is a big one that's the number one reason people will go back to drinking because when they quit their anxiety is so unbearable that it drives them to drink because they know it temporarily rel- relieves the anxiety yeah and i know i know some people like that and unfortunately in their quest to to delay the withdrawal they've done some real damage to themselves health-wise. So I think if you're, if you're having the shakes, you need to stop because the alternatives are extremely scary. Is this something that
0: somebody can do at home or like what do you recommend when somebody wants to be able to get this help, especially if it's been, you know, I'm sure just a couple months can can do some damage inside, but especially like years or decades of, you know, substance abuse.
1: Yeah, if you're someone who has a physical dependence, you definitely need to check in with a doctor. Um, when the central nervous system comes back online, if it doesn't cause seizures, it's also going to mess with your blood pressure, and that can be very dangerous also, and like your body temperature regulation. So any type of physical dependence, check in with a doctor, and even just if the symptoms are driving you nuts, and they're, they're just really stressing you out, a doctor can prescribe you something to potentially ease those. Um, But I know some people who've done a medical detox because they had physical dependence and they said that it was an amazing situation everyone was so kind to them and they were very comfortable so they didn't have to deal with the suffering and they were given the tools for when they left the hospital for how to continue to help themselves and they say like they owe their sobriety to it so even though it's scary and like everybody knows why you're in the hospital I think if you need to be there just don't fight it just go and get it over with
0: Yeah, it's so important for you to be able to put yourself first and take care Mm -hmm. of yourself because the long-term effects of doing this is, that I've read, damaging to your brain.
1: Yeah, and there's something called kindling, which every time you go through withdrawal and then you drink again and you go through withdrawal again, it can get progressively worse for Mm -hmm. some people. So you're trying to ease your symptoms of withdrawal but then you're making it just so much worse and more dangerous for yourself. So I think if it's something you're very committed to, but you've had just a lot of alcohol for a lot of years, you definitely need to check with a doctor.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really interesting to learn about all of this stuff from someone who is open to sharing about it, because reading it in a medical article online is a little bit different than someone sharing their story. Mm -hmm. And anything like that I am always interested in is sharing stories like yours because it's so important to be able to have these conversations. Because so often, you know, people hold themselves back from talking about it, including myself, you know, that there's a stigma related to hard things and we would rather hold these stories inside, but that's not helping ourselves and that's not helping other people who are walking a similar journey as we are.
1: Yeah, and for me, the idea that everyone would know was a big thing that held me back. And I didn't want people to judge me or think, you know, I was an alcoholic or a loser or whatever they might think. And that also kept me stuck trying to learn how to moderate my drinking. And I think everyone who shares, you'll be able to relate to at least one of them and see yourself in them. And it just helps you feel more comfortable. Like if they could do it and their life is better and nothing horrible happened to them, maybe I can also do it. Can you share a little bit more about what people
0: can expect on your podcast and in your blogs? I've been reading your blogs and they're really really interesting and very educational. And like I said, coming from a perspective from someone who has experienced it, because I know that we all are looking for, as you said, for people who have walked that journey and we can look at them knowing that there's hope and that there's healing ahead.
1: Yeah. So in the podcast, they're short, they're like 15, 20 minutes, and I'll have some kind of topic. Uh, my favorite one was when I covered endorphins. I think that's the one you commented on. And I will I like to give a history, like how did we learn this information or what was treatment like 200 years ago or something. And then I'll describe like a normal brain and a problem drinker's brain and where the difference is. And um, I'll talk about some studies. I, I read all the time. I spend like hours a day. Sometimes it's too much. But the blog, I... We'll usually have um, different subjects, like sometimes it's about me, sometimes it's science. I do want to start putting transcripts of the podcast onto the blog. Um, Oh, and on the pod, I also share, I have two episodes right now that are about my story only, no science. So um, those were more challenging to record, but I think people needed to hear it. In one of your blogs I read,
0: it was about staying
1: sober in quarantine. And I know that we are
0: still navigating this new normal, and that there are people out there who are struggling. What are some tips or advice that you would be able to give to them?
1: yeah i I feel for people that are drinking right now. I'm so, so thankful that I was able to stop before all this happened because I would have been just a complete mess. But I think looking at it in a different way, like you're isolated, yes, but you're also isolated from social events and things that might trigger you and you can think of it as like your safe little bubble and for me what I've done is I've really embraced the morning because when you're a problem drinker the mornings suck so I've embraced the mornings and started enjoying that time on my own exercising having just like a solid plan For my days, um, when I first quit drinking, I planned out every weekend, like down to the minute. So I had all kinds of fun stuff to do. It is hard to start in quarantine because it's just so easy to do it right now. So I think support is essential. I tell everyone to go to therapy because you can do it virtually in your living room, it's so easy. So find someone who who specializes in alcohol abuse who can help you just get that first week in. And once you have a little momentum, it helps. And also what helps sober people is the first bit is really miserable with the withdrawal, and we don't wanna go through that again. So once you're free of that, you think you know exactly what you're going back to if you drink, so it it does keep some people sober. I like how you mentioned
0: about connecting through either therapy or a group through uh, Zoom or now I guess in person because things are starting to open back Mm -hmm. up here but I've learned that community is so important. As I mentioned my dad passed away five years ago and I went to a grief workshop and at first it's scary because you're going into this this space or even through the internet now and talking with people you don't know but it is very liberating. I, I walked in crying you know, because you're overwhelmed. But then I walked out, I'm like, dang, I feel really good. I'm looking forward to coming back to this. And I think that there is such a power in connecting with people who get it. That you're connecting with people who understand. You know, you go in the room, you share your stories, and you find yourself laughing because you're like, I think the same things as you do. And it just comforts you in that way.
1: I really admire that you were comfortable doing that. That's huge. And that's something I was really afraid of. I was afraid of running into people that I knew, and what would they think of me, but they're there, too, for the same exact problem, and they think the same way I do, just like you said, so I think community, any kind of support, just not being alone. So many people try to isolate, and that just makes the problem worse.
0: Jillian, can you share a little bit more about
1: where people can find your podcast, your blog, and your social media? Yeah, so my podcast is called Sober Powered, and the Instagram account for my podcast is the same name. Blog is soberpowered.com. Yeah, so I'd love to connect with anyone who needs help right now. My DMs are always open. One thing that I want to add before we wrap up is how long have
0: you been sober so we can celebrate you?
1: Oh, thank you. So last week I celebrated 10 months. That's amazing. So, thank you. So I'm starting to think like a year is coming up. How do I want to celebrate that? and And it's getting really exciting. That's like just the fact I haven't had a drink in 10 months is is nuts. You should be very proud of
0: yourself. I mean, we just met and I'm really proud of you. So I just wanted you to know. Thank you. Thank you so much again for joining me here. And I really look forward to being able to connect with you again in the future. And everybody, check out Jillian and her podcast. You're going to learn so much not only about yourself and to be able to raise that awareness and educate others in this space. So thank you again for joining me. Thanks for having me. If you or someone you know is struggling with substance abuse and would like support, call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services hotline at 1-800-662-4357. If you are a family member who would like support, connect with Al-Anon at 1-888-425-2666.
1: Thanks for joining us at the For The Good podcast. We would love to connect with you. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at ForTheGoodOfficial and our blog at ForTheGood.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode.
0: Remember, a positive mindset is the beginning of true happiness. Not just for the good of the individual, but for the good of the world.